So Father's Day is an interesting Sunday to be preaching on. I don't like preaching the same message twice. I think I've only done it four or five times in my entire life, but this is one of those events where it seems fairly natural because the Godhead and the originator of the Trinity, if I can use that language, has named himself Father. We didn't give him that name. He sent Jesus, and Jesus taught us to call him Father. When that lines up with Father's Day, it seems natural to talk about it. But I don't want to do a lesson on how to be a father. I really just want to share a scripture about you know, what, what it means for God to call himself your father and what his heart is for you, how he wants to relate to you in this life. All right, so this is going to be about kind of like prep work for experiencing the fatherhood of God. Are we good on the sound? Okay, thank you. So I'm in, I don't have a clicker. I feel hand naked. Save me. Texas. Good. So we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 2, and while, as soon as the clicker arrives... Can you tell that I was outside doing people work a lot this weekend and the, the, the neurons are not firing or connected quite like they used to? I feel like my thoughts are a small child left outside of the tilt-a-whirl and doesn't know where mom or dad is right now. That's how I feel right now. And my thoughts are just kind of standing there, knowing that it's probably going to work out, but feeling a little unsafe at the same time. And as soon as somebody shows up with the clicker, I'll probably shed a few tears and hold on really tight too long to whoever brings it to me, but then feel like everything's going to be okay and we can enjoy the mini donuts and lemonade for the rest of our time together in an extended metaphor. Greg, are you coming? I feel so sorry, everybody. Tell a joke. I am the joke. <laughs> it's not working? Okay. Hit th- there we go. See, even Greg has trouble with it. Thanks, everybody. That was my fault, not anybody else's fault. All right. So the title of the message today is The Cross, the Boss, the Word, and the Bird. And really, these are four dynamics of the fatherhood of God coming into your life. They're gifts their approaches, their perspectives on understanding what the Father wants to do with you as a son or daughter of God. But this is the fatherhood of God as expressed in Scripture. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church, and he's sharing his own father perspective, but this is the fatherhood of God coming through him to the church. And he says this, You are witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And I'll repeat the father perspective here. Like a father with his children, we exhorted and we encouraged you and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. So there is something about fatherhood that wants to push for maturity. There's something about fatherhood that envisions the capabilities, 
of his sons and daughters and wants to bring challenge and discomfort in order to see that realized. And even in the scripture, this is somewhat contrast with the perspective of motherhood, okay? So let's get our, our feet into the mud here a little bit. Because just a few verses earlier, it says this, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, and being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves, because you became very dear to us. So we, a few verses earlier, he's talking about moms and how they're kind of like scoop up the baby and nuzzle and protect and, and just want to protect and provide nurturing and safety. We have a kid with special needs, and Jackie's mother heart came out by, by finding out that you can get for a kid with special needs a bed, like an Ikea bed, with webbing all around it so that our son can sleep, and when he wakes up, he can't go anywhere because he has no sense of safety personally, and we don't want to be up all night wondering if he's just climbed out his own window. So just love expresses itself through protection and nurturing and safety. And then a few verses later, Paul's talking about his father heart, where he wants these kids to grow up and get dangerous. Right? Because, you know, there is a little bit of a difference. And maybe you don't fit this mold, and that's fine. There's lots of variety in life, and there's variety in the kingdom. That's wonderful. But in some senses, when you see a mother heart and a father heart with children, moms say, don't go in the woods because there's a wolf in there. And dads say, when you go in the woods, bring your gun because there's a wolf in there. True fact? Right? There's two ways to stay safe. One is to like protect and nurture, and the other way is to get dangerous. So that when there is a dangerous situation, you're the one who comes out alive. True fact? And so uh, here this morning, I'm emphasizing the Father's heart for us as his children to become mature so that we can face challenges by being dangerous instead of kind of seeking the, the, the path of safety, which is also good sometimes and also appropriate sometimes. But the Father's heart comes to us with this desire to exhort, to tell you, you can do better, and to encourage you to say, why don't you try to do better? And to charge you to say, you can live up to this standard. A standard worthy of the name of a son or daughter of God. Because God is right now calling you into the resurrection kingdom and to his own glory. And the Father just stands before us and says, no excuses, no self-pity, you can do it, I'm here to help no whining, no crying, let's do this. Crying's okay. The right kind of crying. Good enough? Is, this, is the message already good enough? This is a father heart. So God gives us, I think, four things. They're either tools or experiences of God to help us become fully mature, kingdom-spreading, glorious children of God. First thing he gives us is the cross. I'm going to get there in a sec. 
So I'm back reading Navy SEAL stuff. Because my life is better when I'm doing this. And one guy was talking about his experience of going into, called Indoc, whatever. It's like the first terrible experience they get you to get you ready for Hell Week, which is the worst possible experience that any people getting trained for anything go through. They, uh, they do things in, in Heck Week where they time it. They're like, at your height and your weight, you can endure this degree of water for 19 and a half minutes before you experience hypothermia. So into the water for 19 and a half minutes. They like scientifically decide just how much hypo, like pain you can suffer before they've hurt you. And then they make you do that. And that's like an entire week of that. But in the indoc, one of these guys, he's talking to the guy who's in charge of the first week. And the guy who's in charge of the first week, who just makes him do a thousand push-ups every day and run around hurting themselves, just looked at them and said, I want to shake your hand at the end of this training but we're not going to lessen any of the standards to get you through this. But I want to be proud of you at the end of these six months of training. And, and something about that looking you in the eye and saying, we're not going to make it easy because we believe you can do this, and I want to be proud of you on the other side of you doing this, brought out the best in this guy. Where he's like, I want to do this. And I want to get on the other side of it and not be told, well, we kind of gave you the baby course. But to find out, no, he did the hard stuff and kind of earned the handshake. Now, we're in a kingdom of grace. All of us get into the kingdom by confessing we can't do this alone. We've already failed. We've already lost. We're already guilty. We're already sinners. And God, by grace, says, but if you believe in Jesus, I'll forgive you your sin, and I'll adopt you as my child, and I'll give you the foolish with your life. But once you're on the mission, the Father's heart is, I'm not going to change my standards of what's right and wrong. I'm not going to change my standards of what's holy and unholy. I'm not going to change my standards of what's righteous and unrighteous. And I believe you can do this by faith. And I want to see you at the judgment seat of Christ and tell you, you did it. And I'm proud of you. That's the Father heart of God for us. So, to start off, he gives us the cross. This is from the letter of Galatians. The Galatian church started off really well, but people came along and started saying, well, if you really want to be right with God, not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to get circumcised and follow all the law of Moses. And this was ruining the gospel of free grace, that you are right with God by faith in his Son alone. And at the end of the letter, the Apostle Paul writes these words, and he says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Because the Apostle Paul was probably very nearsighted or had some eye disease, so when it was time for him to write his signature, it looked like grade one crayon huge. Because otherwise he couldn't even see what he was writing. That's, that's the theory. 
See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but the new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Okay, point number one about the cross. For us to become the children of God, mature and fruitful that the Father wants for us, we need power to put the past behind us. We need power for the past and our behavior and our sin to die so we can be free to move into the future God has for us. Amen? We don't need philosophies. We don't need good ideas. The world is on good idea number 1,052,000, and you know what? In 10 years, they're going to ditch everything that's important right now. Anybody remember 10 years ago? The stuff you needed to do in order to be a good person is all gone. You get canceled for still believing what people believed 10 years ago. You got to do what's now. And now what we're doing right now, five years from now, you will be going to prison for believing what you believe now. Get off the roller coaster. We need a way to die to the world. We need a way to die to our sins so that we can be alive to God. And this is what the cross was for. Jesus Christ came into the world, the eternal Son of God, but took on real life, human flesh, a real man's life, and lived a perfect life, but died as a criminal, hung on a cross, his blood was shed, and he died so that every single person who believed in him could die with him, and put an end to sin, and an end to guilt, and an end to shame, and an an end to the slavery and bondage that comes with being in this world. He says, Far be it from me to boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're dead. We're dead to the world. What's important somewhere in the city? Who cares it's dead? What do people think of my sermons? Who cares? I'm dead. We're dead in the best possible way, because we've died in a way that we get to live forever with God. And this is something, when I get up here and I say, the Father wants the best for you, in you, and out of you, there is so much despair that comes into our lives and in our hearts, because we know we can't do it. And when the despair comes, you know what you need? A cross. You need to die to your past, die to your present, and die to your hopeless future so that you can look to Jesus, raised from the dead with hope that he can do his will in your life. Everything that would keep us separated from God, God killed on the cross. Everything that would keep us from being able to be who God wants us to be, God killed on the cross. So that everything possible so that we could do what God wants us to do and be who God wants us to be came out of the grave and is alive through Christ Jesus. So no hopelessness allowed at Calvary Church. Hopelessness was hung on the cross till dead. The inability to change was hung on the cross till dead. The right to say to the Father, I know your will but I can't do it because of the past was hung on the cross till dead. 
And we need it. We need to be able to look at history and say it's crucified. We need to be able to look at our family and say it's crucified. Open future of possibility because of what God has done through Jesus. We need a cross and we're given a cross. Amen? The history of Steinbeck and whatever church hurt we've had, it's on the cross. If it's holding you back, it's on the cross. And whatever weaknesses God lets persist in our life is so that we can learn to trust him more than we trust ourselves, which is part of our maturing and part of our power is to find the power of God in the midst of our weakness. But the shame and the sense of rejection that comes from weakness, it's on the cross. Now we need to hear this because we do live in an age like this one where people think, in order to become who you're meant to be, you need to cut your genitalia up. Or somebody's blood needs to get shed. Uh, we had a couple from our church, I won't look at them, who got to experience stabbing in the city this weekend. There's a stabbing at this intersection. You know, welcome to church on Main Street. There's a stabbing. Whoever did the stabbing, in their head, they thought, in order for my world to be okay, I need to shed that person's blood. And that's how the world has run since Cain killed Abel. In order for me to be okay, some of my blood needs to be shed. I need to die, and I need to get a surgery or whatever and rebirth myself through some kind of technology... And you know what? If you're there, God bless you and Jesus loves you, but I'm just up here telling you it has never worked and it doesn't work and it won't work. What we need is a new creation. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And that is what God is doing through Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you come out of the world and you start the new creation that God is building. And all the old systems are dead. And all the old ways are useless. And all the old patterns are done. It doesn't work. The life you really want is in Christ and his new creation. And if we live like that, it says, all who walk by this rule, you get the peace and mercy of God upon you. Is that what you want? Are you hunting for peace? Let's just not put our hope in anything but the cross of Christ. Do you feel like you need mercy from God? Don't put your hope in anything but it coming through Jesus. Because everything else will just disappoint you. You'll end up like the prodigal son one day in a far-off country having spent all your wealth and all your riches and all your time and you're just sitting with the pigs longing to eat their slop. You don't have to go that far. You don't have to hit rock bottom. You can come to Jesus today. And yeah, I know that you don't know what you're totally signing up for. I didn't. But I'll tell you what you're signing up for is being loved by Jesus for all eternity. And having... A boss. Point number one, the Father wants you to have a cross so you can fulfill your potential in this world and be with him forever. Number two, the Father wants to give you a boss. Not everybody thinks having a boss is a gift, right? 
nobody's putting up their hand because you're like, this is televised. You know, in the back row, you can put up your hand because you're not online. That's all good. Because we're kind of willful and we like to get what we want and we want to do things our own way, we don't like bosses. We don't like authority. We don't like being told what to do. But unless you've been existing for eternity and created everything, you're not God and you have a boss. True? So if you haven't been running the world already forever, you don't have the opportunity to start. But God wanted to bless us with the best boss ever, and so he sent Jesus to die and be raised from the dead and not just relate to us like some guy handing out candy on the street or free water bottles. Be blessed. Goodbye. That's not how we relate to Jesus. All the blessings come to us through his authority and his bosshood. And so when Jesus came back from the dead, he was talking to his disciples and he met with them. And it says this in Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Anybody feel that way? Worshiping, but also doubting. Music's great. What's this message all about? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The one who loves us and relates to us by being with us forever starts that promise of being with us forever by saying he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has the right to choose. He has the right to decide. He's the one that gets to say, that's good, that's bad. He gets the right to say, you go here and you go there. He has the right to promote. He has the right to demote. He has all authority. And all authority that we experience in this world, whether it's through the government or through businesses or in churches or whatever, are all invested authorities, where Jesus says, hey, you get to use this for a little bit. I want you to turn a profit on it. If you're really bad at this, I'll probably put you to death. But if you're good at this, I'll let you live. <laughs> <laughs> too severe, and maybe not sometimes, you know what I mean? Remember uh, the king of Babylon? I am so great. Yeah, why don't you go eat grass for a bunch of years? Because God did invest his authority in Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar got proud with that authority, and so he... And this was before it was healthy, and people, you know, <laughs> ground it up and put it in your milkshakes. With a toothpick, I hope, because it gets stuck. We have a boss, but we have the best boss who actually has the right to do anything for our good, and so we can fulfill our purposes. We can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to do this, and he has the right to make it happen. And he has the right to tell us how to live. And we need this. How many of us know that if you became a billionaire, you'd be dead in a couple of years or broke? Did you know the fastest way to send, make somebody go broke is to cause them to win the lottery? It's like the fastest way for someone to have to declare bankruptcy is to give them 10 million unearned dollars. Because like, I'll get the house and get the Bugatti. And then they're like, what about the payments? It's gone. You just can't handle it. Most of us can't actually handle being in control of everything we want to control. We need a boss. 
We need someone to say yes, no. We need someone to say go, stop. We need someone to say too fast, too slow. And we need that person to love us more than his own life. Because our problem with authority is usually that you eventually find out they care way more about themselves than they do about us. Amen? That's the problem. We all want good government. We actually want to be governed. We just feel so betrayed when they're obviously selfish and they're obviously lying. And that's where you get insurrections from. We want good government. We want them to do a good job. We're just so mad when they're a bunch of scheming, corrupt liars. And who here would do a better job? And who here has proven that if they were prime minister, they could do it without becoming corrupt themselves? Nobody? Careful. We need a boss. We need someone to tell us what to do. We need that person to want the best for us, and that is the gift we have in Jesus Christ. Someone whose commands are for your best interest every single time. Okay, time conscious. Let's keep going. You got a cross, and you got a boss. You got the word. Going back to 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things that your own, from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And this is what he's saying. He came and he preached the gospel. He told them about Jesus. He told them to trust the Bible. And they believed. And he's like, okay, so this is a good start. And then their neighbors started to hate on them. And their neighbors started to persecute them. And their neighbors started to make fun of them and go on social media and start like CalvaryChurchSucks.com and start slamming them. And when they didn't quit on the scriptures in the midst of the negative feedback, the Apostle Paul says, now I know that you're treating the book like it's the word of God, which it really is. Because if you're willing to give up on it, it's not the word of God to you. If you're willing to disagree with it, you're not treating it like it really is the word of God. Word of God means always right. Because God said it. And he's smarter than us, and he's stronger than us, and he knows what he's doing, and he doesn't make mistakes. That's what word of God means. It means it's right. And so when you hold on to it in the midst of trial and rejection and persecution and not fitting in with the culture and not keeping up with the crazy, crazy craze, you're treating it as the word of God. But this is the gift we have. We have God talking to us. Every time you open this book, it is your father speaking to us. He's one of those dads that kind of likes telling the same stories over and over again. Anybody have a grandpa like that? I heard the story about the time my grandpa, he had like some spring-loaded air rifle and he liked to unscrew the nozzle because if he unscrewed the nozzle, it wouldn't just shoot a BB, it would shoot the nozzle out. So it'd be like this big piece of metal would go flying and he shot his dad in the head with it. And knocked him out cold, and he loved to tell that story. I heard it so many times. And guess who remembers that story? 
Who's got two thumbs and remembers just the nozzle story? This guy. Well, Dad's like that. He want, he, there are stories out of all the billions of things he's done that he wants every single one of his children to know. And there are things that Jesus taught out of all the thousands of things that didn't get written down that he wants all of his children to know. And it really is our job to know this. But it's not just like some test where you get like an A, B, C, D on how much you know. God says he stands behind his word. When we trust his word, he's there to make us experience his faithfulness in it. Is there some feedback going on? Not from there? I, fear, I hear some ringy-dingy. Okay. Like I said, your ears are important to me. Maybe it is just me. It's probably the FBI. <laughs> They're listening in. CSIS? CIA? Just kidding. I don't actually believe in that stuff, so like, don't get worried. Any hoodle. God says that he stands behind his world. He's a shield to those who trust in him. And when we choose to believe what he said in his book, God says, I will help you. It's not just about getting an answer right on a test. It's welcoming God's powerful faithfulness by saying, I'm going to trust you in the midst of circumstances. I'm going to believe you're faithful and not me faithful. I'm going to trust your word. And God comes through for us. So, guilt trip free. Should we get in the word more? How's it going? Guilt trip free. How's it going? <laughs> this. You shake your Bible. This is us as kids. We live off the word. We trust the word. We hold on to the word in the midst of the people around us rejecting the word. That's what we do. And this brings out our best potential as his children. And finally, the bird. Anybody know what this reference is from? No? When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and the presence of the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We've been given the cross and the boss. We've been given the word and the bird. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And here is... Now, out of all the passages, this is from 1 Thessalonians, so I kind of went with it. But this is an experience of the Spirit-filled fatherhood of God coming to his children. Because I think in Thessalonica, like most ancient Near Eastern cultures, they kind of had a, if it feels good, do it, kind of mentality towards sexuality. In most of Roman culture, marriage was just there to control where the money went when people died. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you were a legal heir, then you got money when people died. But if you weren't a legal heir, you didn't get nothing. But typically, the guys could do whatever they wanted with whoever they wanted in their household. And church, for them, in their temples, usually involved a cross between a strip joint and a synagogue. There were ladies there who were accepting the tithes and offerings and uh, other things. That was normal. That was their normal culture where the worship leaders did other stuff. And so Paul is trying to touch on this part of their lives, and he tells them, as people who now have received the Holy Spirit, you need to know what the Father Spirit wants to do in your heart. 
says, so finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, your Father, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, which is a great big word that means being made holy, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. So they're orphans. They're, they're kind of like street urchins spiritually. They don't have a father, and so this is how they act because they don't have a dad in heaven. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Keeping the holy in the name Holy Spirit. And this is one of the things that we just need to know about the Father heart of God. He's given us a spirit to live inside of us, not just so that we know we're his children, which is part of the purpose, And not just so that we can have gifts, so that we can serve him with power, which is part of the purpose, but he's put his own Holy Spirit inside of us in order to recreate his own holiness in us from the inside out. Not with judgment and rejection, but in forgiveness and adoption, but knowing that God means business with us. You know what I mean by that? Like, he's taking it seriously. He takes it seriously because he wants you to win. And he knows that one of the easiest ways for his children to become slaves is to lose this battle. This is not freedom. All the, all the middle stuff here, that's not freedom. That's not fulfilling your potential. There's a slavery in that. There's a bondage in that. There's a not, not being strong in God in that. There's, a, there's shame that comes with it. There's bondage that comes with it. There's Lack of potential that comes with this. There's less than you could be that comes with this. There's not acting like God is enough that comes with this. There's not acting like Jesus has set you free that comes with this. And so if it's not God's best, how could he want that for you? And be a good dad. So instead he's given you his Holy Spirit, which is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was really dead. And the Holy Spirit made him really alive. What's harder than that? Do I mean? What's harder than taking someone who's stone cold dead and making them super alive forever? Nothing. The Holy Spirit inside of us can do it, He can bring the freedom. He can bring the change. He can change your mind. He can change your habits. He can change it for you because he loves you. The one thing he doesn't want is to be ignored when he's prompting and when he's pushing and when he's convicting and when he's trying to talk and he wants your attention. That's the one thing that really does not make him happy is when he's ignored while he's trying to work. He's got a mission for you.
all that being said, I'm going to put on my father heart. I've never seen a time like this when real redemption is coming into people's lives. Where years of frustration people are getting set free from. Where people are feeling like they couldn't be the servant of God that they have always dreamed of being. Now is the time where that, those doors are opening. Do you know what I mean? Where people aren't settling for like, I hope I go to heaven theology. Anybody heard people talking like that? I feel so rejected. I feel so dejected. I feel so incapable. I feel so shut down. I hope I go to heaven. But I hate church and I hate my life and I hate my marriage and I hate my kids and I'm so disappointed and I hate, my, I hate myself. And I think about doing things that I don't want to talk to anybody about. That's been so normal for so many people in Steinbeck. And just doing the Sunday routine thing, but wondering what the point is. God's got us in this awesome time where that's becoming not normal and not okay to live like that anymore. And the joy is coming back, and the breakthrough is coming back, and the freedom is coming back, and the potential to be the child, the son and daughter of God that he has always thought you could be through the cross and through the boss and with the word and through the bird. It's happening. Oh my goodness, guys, it's happening. And so my father heart of God for you is that everything that you could sense might be holding you back from your full potential as a son or daughter of God, you would start to identify and vilify. You would start to see it and hate it and say, not okay anymore. Because Rob talked about the Father's will for my life, and it's not okay to be on the sidelines anymore. It's not okay to say, I quit, but I hope I go to heaven. There is no part of the Father who wants anyone to quit. It's going to be hard. Like, sometimes he'll call you to rest. That's fine. We're human. We need sleep. Sometimes he'll redirect. That's fine. He wants you to be where he wants you to be, serving, moving, loving, receiving love. That's good. But there is nothing in heaven that looks to a son or daughter of God and says, why don't you just quit? That's Satan. That's Satan. He's a liar and a thief and a killer. And he wants you, if he can't get you dead, he wants you to wish you were dead. And if he can't get you to wish you were dead, he could at least get you discouraged and ashamed and useless and hiding. That is not the Father's heart for you. He wants you forgiving and forgiven. He wants you loved and loving. He wants you fruitful and receiving His fruit. He wants the best for you. And He's done everything in heaven and on earth to make it possible. He's killed His Son and He sent His Spirit and He's told you the truth. And all authority is in Jesus' hand to accomplish anything he wants. What an awesome dad. And if you want him, he's yours. All you need to say is, I believe in Jesus, save me. And he will be your dad forever. 
And sometimes it won't be fun, and you'll wish he wasn't your dad. True fact? Psalm, I think it's Psalm 88. The psalmist says, just look away from me, God, so I can just be at peace for a second, so I can just die in peace. Like, every once in a while, you wish he weren't your dad, because he knows what we can do, and it's more than what we want to do. And he knows what we can endure, and it's more than what we want to endure. And he knows how far we can go, and it's farther than we want to go. And when we start arguing, then, then the sparks. The sparks. But there's, don't quit on God. Don't quit on the church. Don't quit on the family. Don't quit on his word. Don't quit on the Holy Spirit. There is no calling to quit in the kingdom. Amen? Instead, we just say yes. You say yes to the cross, yes to the boss, yes to the word, and yes to the bird, and God will do more than we could ever think or ask or imagine we should worship. I'm going to pray.